0: Feeling more comfortable with what Lane and Doug Huda are are preaching. That pace is just not going to get you into the playoffs. Maybe some of these prospects are uh, ahead of the game. I had some pretty good chicken parm tonight. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Episode 145 coming to you from my hotel room in Chicago where the Islanders open a three-game road trip on Tuesday night that will also touch down in St. Louis and Detroit as they look to extend a three-game winning streak. And on this episode, we'll go over exactly what's gone right in that winning streak and maybe how the Islanders need to build upon that. There's also a chat with the newest member of the Islanders MSG Network's broadcast team, former Islanders defenseman Thomas Hickey, and of course your questions for Andrew's answers. And hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday, Newsday, and please appreciate my blue check mark indicating I'm verified for at least as long as it lasts until Elon Musk makes it disappear. Kidding aside, please find all of Newsday's Islanders content at newsday.com backslash aisles, and also uh please check out Newsday TV and as mentioned, the Islanders extended their winning streak to three by rallying for a 5-4 win over the Stanley Cup champion Avalanche on Saturday night at UBS Arena. And when Anthony Beauvillier scored that, that go-ahead goal to make it 4-3 just 17 seconds after defenseman Scotty Mayfield had tied it, uh, I, I think that was as loud as the Islanders' new home has been uh the islanders came back after the avalanche had taken a 3-0 lead in the second period um that allowed the islanders to get through a grueling stretch of 5 games against playoff tested opponents with a pretty respectable 3-2 and 0 mark they uh they started that by losing uh on the road to both florida teams but they looked very impressive in a 3-0 home win over the Rangers, at least over the the last two periods. Um, Even more impressive was a 6-2 road win at Carolina, and then uh, finding that way to come back against the Avalanche. It's been a good combination of factors for the Islanders. Uh, The goaltending, particularly Ilya Sorokin, has been very good, and and, and Semyon Varlamov... uh, maybe there were a couple of goals he might have wanted back against the Avalanche, but he was strong when it mattered uh, in that third period. And the and the goalies have also been the best penalty killers. And the penalty kill got off to a 28 for 28 start until the Avalanche scored the first power play goal against the Islanders this season. Uh, that means the Islanders set a record or at least are dating back to when the NHL started keeping uh, track of these statistics in 1977 78. But the Islanders uh, set a record back to 77 78 of, of not allowing a power play goal over their first eight games. And the, the Islanders are also uh, fourth in the NHL with 33 goals scored after uh, scoring an impressive 14 goals. Uh, in, in the three straight wins. And, but, but just as important, or at least to my eyes, uh, is a, a visible growing comfort in their defensive structure. Uh, there, there have been fewer seam passes making it through the Islanders' defensive zone, and that, of course, helps out the goalies who don't have to go side to side as much. Uh, there, there's more play being kept to the outside, Again, helping the goalies uh, there. Um, And again, remember, you know, even though Lane Lambert was promoted from associate coach and he was under Barry Trotz for Trotz's four seasons with the Islanders, and Lane is trying to implement a few more things, uh, getting up ice, being a little bit more aggressive. And there were some tweaks, you know, some intricate X's and O's. Uh, to the defensive system in, in terms of positioning and 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 what the players should be looking for and and where where the coaches want them to go. And again, uh, uh, new assistant coach Doug Huda, Huda uh the former Islander defenseman, is uh, is in charge of the Islanders' defense now. So I had a chat with uh, Ryan Pulak uh, the other day about uh, you know why maybe we're seeing a little bit better defensive structure. And uh, uh, I'm not playing the clip from Ryan, but uh, I'm just going to go through what he said. And uh, he said, quote, "Uh, I think guys have bought in. Uh, It's been a lot of similar stuff in the past, but there's always little tweaks here and there. In the past, it was just guys uh, working. And 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 right now he's talking about it's less thinking. Or in the past, it was less thinking, uh, thinking where you're supposed to be. And it's just moving your feet and getting uh, to the spots and doing your job. And, and I think uh, uh, guys are just working now and getting back and getting, getting to their spots naturally. It's, uh, it helps you play more freely and, you, and play right. Um, and then speaking about earlier this season, he said, I think there were times when we were maybe thinking too much and getting caught standing still a little bit. Uh, you're getting the puck with pressure, and your feet aren't moving, and it's tough to make plays that way, um, that ending Ryan Pulak's quote. And, you know, pretty much that's, that's what I've been seeing. The the Islanders defensemen have been uh, more active, and uh, they, they've been really defending uh the decrease very well and sort of creating that umbrella uh where where teams can't get the puck uh again those seam passes the, the opponents are just not getting the islanders moving side to side and a lot of stuff is staying out towards the walls and uh again it's just feeling more comfortable with what lane and daghuda are are preaching there and uh Uh, I'll get back to what the Islanders are doing and maybe what they need to do better uh, in just a little bit. But first, I I really wanted to uh, uh, bring you this interview uh, I did with uh, ex-Islanders defenseman Thomas Hickey. Uh, I got a chance to talk with Hicks right before he made his official MSG Network's debut as a studio analyst uh, with Shannon Hogan, and that was down in Carolina and Raleigh. Uh, for Friday's game against the Hurricanes and uh, Hicks is going to wind up doing uh, in the neighborhood of I think it's about 45 games or so uh, he's going to split the studio with AJ Molesko, who's back um, that means Anson Carter is not back uh, this season it's just going to be Hicks and uh, AJ uh, with Shannon this season Hickey uh, did sort of a one-game trial on October 15th. Uh, the Islanders were hosting the Ducks that day. Uh, that obviously went very well. And I can tell you, everyone uh, around the Islanders group, uh, players and media included, are, are, we're, we're all excited to see uh, Thomas Hickey back around the team. Uh, he's obviously had a rough few seasons between injuries uh uh you know his brother passing away and then uh, uh he was in training camp with the devils uh on a professional tryout offer he did not uh make the devils and uh, that sort of brought his nhl career uh to a close after spending much of the past three seasons with the islanders ahl uh, affiliate in bridgeport and and, and Thomas Hickey and I discuss all of that and sort of what led him uh, to the booth here with the Islanders and also uh, what he sees for both himself and for the Islanders moving ahead. So Thomas, first, congratulations. You know, just like you were joking before, how does it feel coming over to the dark side here?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It feels good. I think the the timing's meant to be and it's, you know, something I thought about a little bit, but Gerald was focusing on what you want to do in the moment Mm -hmm. and then there came a time where hey I don't know what I'm going to do and was assessing all my options and just I think a perfect way for me to get start something new to stay in the game to do something I'm passionate about and you know to follow a team and the league which Mm -hmm. I already do naturally so it's nice to share that with other people.
0: Yeah I mean I don't know if I ever said it to you but I, I know I've said it to other people you know during your career You always struck me as a guy with with such a high hockey IQ that you could really do anything in this business that you wanted to. And, you know, I I know I've said to people that, you know, I think you could step in and coach right away. You know, have you thought about that? Why broadcasting, you know, why is broadcasting right for you right now?
1: Well, first of all, maybe I'm a bit lazy. (laughs) And not to say that this is an easy gig or being in the media is at all the the you see the amount of work and the amount of dedication it takes to be a coach Mm -hmm. and for me i feel like i've gone through that stage where you're somewhere new every year you don't know where you're going to be and there's there's less stability Mm -hmm. and to be a coach you've got to do that same grind all over again and i have so much respect for the guys that do because um you know you might be starting out in the American League or in junior and you're working your way up and for me I, I feel like was at a point in life where it's hey I want to you know take a little bit of command over where I'm going to be and, and fortunate that landed where I am now but coaching was something I wanted to do when I was younger but you know you have to be fully committed to that and I felt for me I'd rather fully commit myself to something that I'd enjoy more and would, would suit me a better lifestyle so I think this worked out perfectly. <laughs> yeah no
0: that makes sense. I I don't know whether you've filed your retirement papers or not, but, you know, obviously for now, you know, this is where you are. Um, When you look back, you know, almost 500 games with the Islanders and and you wound up, you know, I know you had, you know, a tryout with the Devils in training camp and, you know, you played in the Kings organization. But within the NHL, it, it was all with the Islanders. How do you look back on that period in your life?
1: I think once you, you know, like you said, I'm not officially retired. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not playing anymore. Um, and and I'm, I'm happy with that. And I think there's some liberation that comes with knowing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but for me, I think when you're playing and you're assessing your career, you're thinking about what's happening right now. And the last three or four years have been difficult. And I think when times would get like that, it'd be, hey, take a broader view of the whole career and that really helped to make you feel better and, and put things into perspective but for me now that I'm done I can look back at the whole thing not hey what what was happening last year the last two years and think about the difficult times you get to look at it as a whole and it's something I'm proud of and to be in front of that you wearing the same uniform every single night is something special, and, you know, like you mentioned, Jersey, and it didn't work out, and I, I think things worked out the way they were supposed to, and the timing was right, and, you know, I can go back and say that I played my whole career with the Islanders, and that's something I'm really proud of.
0: Yeah, I know there were a lot of hurdles the last, you know, two, three, four seasons, you know, both on and off the ice. Did you did you think of stepping back before, you know, this all happened, or, you know, what kept you going those, those last three years?
1: Um, you know what, I never... I would say no, because I could have told you three months ago that I was hell-bent on playing hockey, and I'll be playing somewhere this year. Um, You know, and obviously, if it's not in the NHL, it could be in Europe. And for me, I really seriously considered that. Mm -hmm. Um, I never got to a point where I thought, oh, I'm done. You know, when you sign a contract, you're not obligated, but you want to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was always it. And there was times when I felt, hey, am I ever going to get a chance? And then I did, and I did really well. And I think that that was gratifying and, and made all that hard work and those tough times yeah. worth it. So for me, there's times you get discouraged, but you keep on doing the right things. And then I got my chance. I was like, thank God I didn't let my mind drift into that. I want to be done. Right. Um, so the answer to that would be no. But, yeah, of course there's times where it's tempting and it's yeah. difficult and it's not fun, but it's also a privilege to, to do what you do as a hockey player. So I, I think I always had a, a healthy boundary between those two. But now that when the opportunity came when i was assessing my options and there's opportunities to still play that's when it was easier for me saying look i'm free i can choose what i want to do and and at that point it was yes i know i'm ready to be done and i don't have any regrets and i'm happy with the decision i've made and you know it's it's still early on and i've got a ton to learn and tonight's my first game but uh it's it, it already feels like it's it's meant to be and a hockey career doesn't mean just well you played. I think mm-hmm. it, it goes. You see, Rod Brindamore talking today. Yeah. I mean, he's a great career. Now he's this. Yeah. He could be better at coaching than he was yeah. at playing. So th- the game can can reward you in many ways, and it's not just playing. So for me, I, I think of it sort of as a continuation of my career and, you know, leveraging what I did to be able to get in a spot to continue my career in a different way.
0: By the way, Rod Brindamore, the most in-shape coach in NHL history.
1: Yeah, I, I would certainly say so. I see the muscles in his face. So certainly uh, the most fit guy I've seen. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah he's, he's intimidating when he uh, walks in. So how... You know how do you make the separation now you you were in that dressing room for a lot of years these are your friends and now you know there're going to be times when you know if they're not playing well you're going to have to say so how How do you think you make that transition and you know wh- what's right and what's wrong with, with with you know how you go about that I think
1: there's finesse involved and I think that's something I got to figure out obviously yeah. um, these guys are all my friends and some of them great friends but that's not my job anymore is to be friends with guys it's um i I think for me it's it's best to have an objective view and if if i'm calling someone out for something they did wrong Mm. my assumption is they feel the same way too it's trying to be objective but at the same time look we're we're trying to look at the bright side of this team and get excited about it because there's there's a belief there so That's more what I'm focused on, and, and sure, there's going to be times that require finesse, and uh, I think it helps that I know these guys intimately, and I know them their games intimately as well. So for me, you know, I, I always think if if something goes wrong, you, you can point to what this person normally does and why. Hey, th- this is uncharacteristic, rather than you did the wrong thing here. And yeah, for think- me as a player, I, I never judge teammates on mistakes like the puck's gonna hop over your stick yeah, you're gonna yeah. fan on a one-timer um, you're gonna make a bad pass but it's more about is where was the intention mm-hmm. and this is a well-intentioned group and a very disciplined group so there's there's not as many areas where that will come up I don't think but it, it certainly will require some finesse and um, you know my job is not to be friends it's to you know give yeah. everyone insight but I think there's a line that you can toe that that goes both ways and um, you know the guys are all understanding it's it's a tough job and you know Mm -hmm. there's some scrutiny but um, you know I want to my jobs to the MSG and to the fans but Mm -hmm. I I don't see a situation where it's going to get too fuzzy because um, you know like I said it's objective stuff and I know these guys expect a lot of themselves and if, if I'm pointing it out they yeah. probably know already, right?
0: Yeah, plus, you, you know, you give respect, you get respect, right? And, yeah. and the, I mean, you're starting from a good spot because they already respect you to begin with. So, Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that
1: helps.
0: Yeah. So, you, you know, seven games into the season, tonight's game number eight, what have you seen from the group so far? And, you know, there was a lot of belief that last season was an aberration and that these guys are the guys that went back back-to-back to the NHL semifinals. What have you seen through the first seven?
1: I believe that as well. Um, I think for me, it's, it's you need to not lose sight that they went to the conference finals back-to-back, but it wasn't pretty through the regular season both mm-hmm. of those years. There was ups and there was downs, yeah. and if you looked after seven games of the first year we went to the conference finals yeah. you'd be saying a lot of the same things it's it's 82 games and you grow and you learn and obviously there's a new coaching staff and everyone's got to find their footing and chemistry takes a while but three and four it's not in a bad spot and there's so much so much hockey to be played so you know what I'm seeing is a group that's not trying to find its identity the team knows its identity but it's, it's trying to find a rhythm and the schedule hasn't set up great for that but you have all of a sudden you have a huge win against the Rangers and hey it Everything feels good again, right? So yeah. for me, I try to look at it as a big picture and not a small picture. And this is just a small snapshot. Has it been great? No. Has yeah. it been bad? No. Yeah. But it's, you know, there's work to do. There's there's no question.
0: Yeah, well, game number one for you is game number 1,000 for uh, Josh Bailey. And I, I, know, I know what the guys in the room think of Josh. What... what, what What's your relationship, and you know, your your you know, your thoughts on Josh hitting a thousand here?
1: It's it's special. I was saying to, to Kinger, um, I've never been part of so many of someone's thousand games before, so yeah. it's special for me. And you know what I would say to fans, like be proud. You've watched yeah. someone from 18 on, and Josh's career has gone at a trajectory where. Now he's a different player than he was when he came in, and he's defensively responsible. And I know those aren't the first things you think of when you hear Josh, but he kills penalties. He's used his smarts that made him so good offensively Mm -hmm. to defend well. So those are things that I look at and go, geez, his game's changed so much, and he's so responsible now compared to getting by on on skill and smarts and the way he played before. So I've just seen him take on a lot of responsibility as a player and for me josh the biggest thing that stands out he's unflappable and i think that's important because throughout a season there's ups and downs and i would ride emotions and most guys do but josh is very uh leave it at the rank. i just show up and do my best and that's all i can do and and that's something that i think rubs off on other guys and someone you need to have in your room because it settles things
0: down when times are tough. Yeah, no, it should be a fantastic night for him. Yeah. And, and Thomas, listen, all the best uh, in, in this new uh, gig for you. I'm so happy we're going to get to see you a lot now, too. That's great.
1: I'm happy, too. Thanks, yes. Andrew. All right, thanks.
0: All right. As you can hear, Thomas Hickey is as upbeat as ever. And uh, trust me, he's going to be a very, very good analyst. And, and I, I mean it... Uh you know, I meant it when I said it to him and I'll say it again, I, I think he could do anything he wanted to or he wants to in hockey. It's just a matter of what he wants to uh, put his mind to. And uh, that game in Carolina, by the way, was uh, Josh Bailey's 1,000th NHL game. And the Islanders did a very nice job uh, saluting him. His family was there, a wife, three small kids, his parents uh, on the ice with the pregame ceremony the next night before facing the Avalanche. And, But of course, as my buddy and colleague Colin Stevenson and I discussed in the previous episode, uh, Bailey probably should have never been scratched at Tampa Bay in his 1,000th game. Should have been at home against the Rangers, but uh, we we move on. and We move on with the Islanders to what could be better and what the Islanders must do good enough to, to make the playoffs. And as you heard... Thomas Hickey say he believes in this Islanders group and why Wendy's been a part of it, Um, but specifically in this group's ability to be a playoff contender and three game winning streak aside uh, that, that that's given the Islanders 10 points through their first nine games, and you you don't have to be a a genius mathematician to know that that pace is just not going to get you into the playoffs, and uh, so let's start with the power play, which went three for 28, and again, uh, you know I'm not a a mathematician or a math genius, but uh, Mr. Calculator says three for 28 is 10.7% on the power play, and that just that that that's not good enough. That's through the first nine games, uh, very obviously not good enough. Even as the players talk about the momentum gained from the man advantages, it's still not translating into goals, and, and goals being the uh, well, not to be, you know, I guess I boxed myself into a corner, but goals being the goal uh, of all of this, right? Um, Coach Lane Lambert has made some switches. Ryan Pulak and his big shot are now back on the second power play unit instead of either Robin Sallow or Sebastian Ajo. And to me, that's a good thing, especially if Pulak can get that big blast of his on the net. And, you know, then it just creates potential rebound opportunities or it might even go in and, his unit includes Anthony Beauvillier, J.G. Pajot, Oliver Wallstrom, and Zach Parisi uh, at the net front. And, and just backing up one quick second, uh, specifically about Robin Sallow who has been out of the lineup. Um, he sort of did a paper transaction uh, right before the Tampa game. Uh, to go down to Bridgeport, and then he actually was down in Bridgeport before he got called back up, and uh, that came at the expense of Kiefer Bellows being put on waivers and being picked up by the Flyers, and uh, I, I did get a chance to uh, chat with Lou Lamarillo on the, on the road trip um, forget which city we were in, but uh, I did chat with Lou specifically about Kiefer Bellows being picked up. And, you know, Lou said, uh, without divulging too much information, uh, it was a roster decision they made, which meant that they valued Ross Johnson and Nikita Soshnikov more than Kiefer Bellows in terms of who they were willing to risk losing. Uh, via waivers, uh, I, I I gotta believe that the Islanders sort of thought they could get Bellows through waivers. Uh, he was carrying a one point two million uh, dollar one year deal. Uh, obviously, not waiver proof there, uh, as the Flyers showed you. Yeah, the Flyers, though, are you know hard hit by injuries and desperate for forward help. Uh, they just learned Sean Couturier was going to be out three to four months. So, uh, uh, you know, Bellows can help him at least in the short term. But, uh, again, Lou Lou would not get into what he did, you know, before placing Bellows on waivers. But rest assured, uh, look, Lou Lamarillo did not enter this league yesterday. He for sure tried to find a deal uh, for, for Kiefer Bellows. He tried to trade... Kiefer Bellows, he found absolutely no takers. So, you know, if you're wondering about, you know, why the Islanders are, you know, losing a, a former first-round pick for nothing um, while while still carrying Ross Johnson and Nikita Soshnikov, well, just, you know, understand that uh, if Lou tried to trade Kiefer and, and found no uh no trade partners, then uh, look pretty much the other NHL teams, you know, their assessment of Kiefer Bellows is probably right in line with what the Islanders were. Um, and that's, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Kiefer Bellows. And I I think everyone around Kiefer's is such a good kid. He really is. And he worked hard. Um, And I think everyone wants to see him succeed. And I I, I think everyone... You know, even though you lose him for no compensation, and that's hurt, that hurts because he's a first rounder or a former first rounder. Uh, I, I think people are happy, uh, you know, that no that he is getting at least a chance uh, in the NHL here, uh, to show that he can stick with the Flyers. Uh, and again, the Flyers certainly needed, uh, some help. But again, Lou, uh, you know, made it clear that, uh, not only was, you know, Johnston and Nikita Soshnikov ahead of uh, uh, Kiefer Bellows on the, uh, you know, on the leaderboard for the Islanders. Lou talked about what's coming up from Bridgeport. And, you know, uh, he said it at the end of training camp that maybe some of these prospects are uh, ahead of the game. And, uh, you know, it may not just be Atu Ratu and... Uh, as we'll we'll discuss in a little bit in Andrew's answers, but uh, uh, so getting back to the power play, I, I mentioned the the first power play unit uh, or the second power play unit. The first power play is uh, Noah Dobson quarterbacking Matthew Barzell, uh, Kyle Palmieri, Brock Nelson, and Anders Lee at the net front. And look, the personnel is what it is. The issue is and has been directing more pucks. On net, the Islanders can get passive on the power play and too much stays on the outside without good pressure at the crease. And uh, that just has to be drilled out of them. And I can tell you watching practices, the coaches are on the players to shoot more. That is one of the objectives here, um, you know, we'll, time will tell whether the Islanders continue to grow that shooting mentality that they've shown in bits and spurts here, but not a, as uh, a, as as much of a consistent basis as probably needed. Meanwhile, at 5-on-5, five five, the Islanders almost made it through October without getting a goal from one of their four centers. Uh, Brock Nelson did end Brocktober with three goals in uh, in the, those last two games in October, well, all three of them coming in the third period. Um, and, and, and Matthew Barzell does have 10 assists in nine games, which is which is a very good pace. And Casey Sezekis, I I don't think you can fault him. He's been skating very, very well. And uh, as a collective, the identity fourth line has been pushing the pace and establishing a forecheck. And and for now, uh, kind of, uh, you know, talking back to all the naysayers who said that maybe, you know, they're certainly age-wise on the other end of it. They've They've looked very fresh this season they've they've been physical uh, they, there's no issues with the Islanders fourth line right now but 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 goals are goals and not getting goals from centers is is if you continue uh, that moving forward that that can be a recipe for disaster. Uh, you simply need goals from those four guys, certainly from your you know uh, from the Pajos and the the Barzels and the, and more from Brock Nelson. Um, the flip side, of course, is that the Islanders are getting great production from the back end. Scotty Mayfield already has three goals after getting three all of last season. His career high is five. Noah Dobson with three goals and three assists in nine games looks better than last season, honestly, or at least more confident. And he and his new partner, Alexander Romanov, they seem to have worked out some of the kinks in their game uh, too, too often earlier in the season or early in the season. Uh, it seemed to be a little bit of a lack of communication or, under, or maybe better yet understanding between the two of them as to which one should be getting up the ice and who should be back minding the store. Um, one thing maybe to watch or have a little bit of concern over, and I, I, I certainly think you know he's going to improve his play. But Adam Pellick just doesn't look as strong or, or as solid as we've come to expect him uh, through the early parts of the season. Uh, I've noticed a couple of times he's he's been skated by um, or he's not gotten in his position uh, to protect the crease as well as maybe he he needed to, um, look, the Islanders absolutely need, uh, Ryan Pulak and Adam Pellick to, to be a shutdown pair. So uh, that's something to, to watch over. Meanwhile, uh, the Islanders are also going to have to start collecting more points on the road. And I know, uh, it's a very small sample size. Um, uh, the, the Islanders were 1-2-0 and on the road in October. And granted, again, they had a very impressive win at Carolina that before this uh, three-game road trip to Chicago, St. Louis, and Detroit was their, their previous road game. So they actually go on the road with a one-game road winning streak. But look, 10 of the 15 games in November are away from home. So you, you're going to have to collect points on the road here. But uh, enough of me riffing. Let's see what you'd like me to talk about. It's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. We'll start with Mike Fink, who goes, I got a lot on my mind, so let's go through a few. What's, uh, what in your mind makes the PK a strength? One that killed 28 in a row to start the year. Uh, what are possible fixes for the struggling power play aside from Pulak at the point? And then a light question, best places to eat out on the road. Um, uh, let me just go through that. Look, the PK, it starts with the goaltending, and Ilya Sorokin particularly has been outstanding. But really, I mean, it's it's all the players sacrificing and selling out. There have been a lot of block shots and a lot of physicality. And the Islanders, they just don't get out of position um, on the power play, and they're not giving up a lot of rebounds. And again, uh, that all starts with the goaltending. Um possible fixes for the struggling power play. As I mentioned, I I, I do think Pulak is is a good, you know, a good start there. Um, yeah, I I just think it's being a little more direct and not being as cute and just really having a better shooters mentality. And, you know, like I said, the personnel is the personnel. I, I don't, it's not like there's anyone else on the roster. I think that they're really gonna try. I mean, if if Oliver Wallstrom starts connecting on some of those one timers, that that would be a huge help as well. But you got to set them up as well. And uh, as for the best places to eat on the road, I will give you one because you guys know I love eating, and and there's a, a really you know a lot of good places. Or maybe I'll give you two. Uh, I really like Da Vinci's up in uh, Montreal. It's near the Bell Center. Uh, Fine Italian food. Um, And then uh, I had some pretty good chicken parm tonight uh, uh, at Harry Carey's here in Chicago. Uh, My first time there. Uh, Adam Schechter says, uh, seems like the Islanders want to balance of defense with smart offensive pressure. I think that's, you know, me speaking, that's uh, the goal for any team. And uh, having success recently, is that the Lane-Lambert game plan for all the scoffing about Lambert uh, would continue the system. There does seem to be a change in how the team plays. Do you notice this? Yeah, and, you know, you noticed it in training camp, really, that just the drills were meant to get this team to be a little more aggressive up ice. Uh, and, and, and the coaching staff is trying to instill more of a shooter's mentality. And this is, uh, you know, s- strictly speaking, uh, up the ice. Uh, the, as Lane said the other day, and Lou has said always, everything is predicated on defense, but you can create defense from offense. Um, so and, and the Islanders are, are doing pretty good. Uh, with, you know, with that so far, I think I went over the numbers, uh, Islanders fourth in the NHL with 33 goals scored. Um, and that was 14 goals in the last uh, in that three game in the three wins, uh, Hurricanes, Rangers, and the Avalanche, I think it's uh, whether well, they've given up 24 goals. So, you know, plus nine goal differential is is pretty good. Uh, there. Um, let's see. Uh, Michael says, looking over Bridgeport, it seems uh, Ruslan Ish- Ishikov is off to a great start. Is he reentering the prospect conversation? And I, I do believe when, uh, you know, I mentioned before, Atu Ratu is obviously the guy everyone is uh, keeping their eyes on. Um, but uh, Ishikov has had a really fine start uh, to his Bridgeport season. Uh, four goals, seven assists, and seven games uh, to start for the Bridgeport Islanders. The the issue uh, with Ruslan is he is 5'9", 165. And look, you know, the Islanders uh, wanted to bring in Johnny Gaudreau. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so uh, they're, they're obviously not shy about, uh, you know, kind of smaller uh, NHL players. Uh, Ruslan obviously skates very well and uh, really seems to have a nose for the net. And yeah, I I think uh, he is one of the prospects that Lou Lamarillo uh, spoke to me about, about maybe being closer than everyone gives him credit for. Um, Connor Hickey says in the offseason, Lou Lamarillo mentioned trying to find a new home for an RFA, a restricted free agent in hindsight. uh, Do we think that was key for Bellows? Um, I'm trying to remember when Kiefer re-signed, uh, but I, I, I don't know if Lou was talking about Kiefer Bellows. All I can tell you is that before uh, putting Kiefer on waivers, uh, that they did try and move him. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, not the, there were no takers in, in terms of a trade. And honestly, if the Flyers weren't so injury-ravaged up front and, you know, desperate for forwards, I, I think Bellows might have snuck through waivers and uh, he'd be in Bridgeport right now. Um, Mike says, in your opinion, what was missing from Kiefer Bellows' games that both Trots and Lambert wanted? I, I didn't think he was great in the season opener, uh, and he played uh, seven minutes and change. Uh, and then, as soon as Oliver Wallstrom was was able to get back in the lineup, that was it for Kiefer Bellows after one game. Um, didn't Mike didn't think Kiefer Bellows was great in the season opener, but not terrible either. Lou must have planned for the possibility uh, of him getting claimed. So management was okay if it happened. And look, I don't think it was their preference for him to be claimed, uh, even if it you know. Uh, did, might help the salary cap situation uh, because the prospects they bring up will will have a, a smaller cap hit. Uh, I, I think in Bellow's game and what Trots and Lambert and it, it, no doubt the rest of the league are seeing is that uh, Kiefer is just not the most naturally gifted skater, uh, and, and I think that's what hinders his game uh, because he's worked on everything else, I mean, he's worked on his skating too. Uh, his defensive has improved. He's got he's got a really good shot. Uh, I just think there were a lot of questions about his ability to skate um, consistently at the NHL level. Um, Keith Mattai says, "Is the goal scoring a fluke? Uh, fifth best in the NHL." If no, why is the power play still struggling to finish and pass the eye test? There's a lack of creativity and puck movement making defenders guess and scramble. And I don't disagree with you. That's what I was saying before. Power play can be a little passive at, at times. Is the goal scoring a fluke? Um, no, I, I, I Don't think so because, again, the Islanders are trying to have a better shooter's mentality. And they've been strong on the uh, forecheck. And if you're going to get production from the back end, which it it certainly appears uh, that that is going to continue because that's something uh, Lane Lambert is pushing the team to do. I I don't think the goal scoring is a fluke. Um, But why is the power play struggling? I think it's a lot of... uh, what you just mentioned and what I've mentioned. And, uh, you know, players just need to be a little bit more straight line uh, on the power play, I think. Um, Pete Lynch said uh, says, Last week we were sure the season was over. Uh, this week we're wondering who the Islanders will play in the Stanley Cup finals. Which end of the spectrum is closer to reality? And, uh, look, I, I think there's a little... It's pretty funny, actually, um, because th- th- that's pretty much... Uh, sports fandom in a nutshell right there. Yeah. Those, those swings of the, uh, the needle. Right. But, um, I, I think the Islanders and I, I, I picked them to be a playoff team before the season. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think they're going to win the metropolitan division if they get into the playoffs, you know, uh, third in the division or one of the conference wild cards, that's what I would see for them. But I would say, uh, you know, they're they're probably closer to uh, being a playoff team than the season being over. Um, Eli Strong says, uh, what are your thoughts, likes and dislikes so far of Wallstrom playing on Barzell's wing? Do you see this as a long-term fit? And look, it would solve a lot of stuff for the Islanders. And I've mentioned this if, uh, this, this works, and, and, and what I've seen is that uh, Oliver Wallstrom doesn't look as confused this time around. He had that 13-game uh, trial on Barzell's wing uh, last season. Uh, Barry Trotz finally uh, acquiesced and uh, put him together, and it, it just didn't work at all. Oliver Wallstrom didn't know what space to use or where, where to be in the offensive zone, and, and this time around, he's being much more assertive and he he looks like he's figured out Barzi's game a little bit, and and he knows where to be in the offensive zone a little bit. So, uh, is it a long term fit? I I think the Islanders are certainly hoping this takes. And yeah, I, I think it can be if, if if Wally keeps keeps this up. Um, P. Williams said, uh, any thoughts on doing a video podcast? a walkthrough of behind the scenes facilities if, if allowed. And uh, uh I have not discussed a video podcast yet. You know, I, I always sort of thought I had a voice made for radio. Um, But, you know, I, I do have done Islander videos and again, uh, hoping to uh, get more involved in Newsday TV and, and bring you Islanders content that way. Um, and also P Williams says, love the grateful dead night. I can, I tweeted out, uh, from Florida, the Panthers are going to do a grateful dead night. And I said, I would lobby, uh, the Islanders to do the same. And I think I would love to see that. Uh, I certainly, it would be better than that seventies night. They, they tried the other night. um, Sam Nat says, what are your thoughts on, and then he sent me a link to an NHL.com story uh, entitled, Accelerating Diversity and Inclusion, uh, and it reads, the NHL is in, intentionally seeking a greater diversity of experiences throughout hockey, whether you were in it to play, work, or watch since January 2020, the league office and all 32 NHL clubs have pursued with new urgency a variety of initiatives to make our game more welcoming, inclusive, accessible, and socially conscious. Um, so basically it, it, it's that initiative, um, you know, on accelerating diversity and inclusion. And there's no way you're going to hear me say Any bad word about that kind of initiative, that's, you know, whether it's the NHL, all walks of life, uh, diversity and inclusion uh, should be a focus. It it just makes it it makes life better if if, you know, if you're not just seeing or hearing uh, one point of view Um, and then we'll, we'll finish with Thomas Boyle, who says, <laughs> um, and I will say Thomas emailed me, uh, before, uh, the, the Islanders beat the hurricanes and the avalanche back to back. But I, I didn't want to exclude Thomas who uh, was getting frustrated early in the season. He said, uh, Lou has destroyed this team. When is he getting fired? Season ticket su- subscribers should not renew their tickets. And, uh, uh, <laughs> Lou is not getting fired, um, immediately that that's for sure. Um, when, when you talk about Lou destroying this team, look, uh, I've said this all along this season is a referendum on Lou. Um, he fired Barry Trotz. And he took it upon himself and, you know, he, he talked about what he wanted to do in the offseason. And then he brought the whole team back. So this this season really is on Lou. Um I'm not ready to say he's destroyed this team. Uh, and, you know, I think the bigger litmus test will be whether the Islanders can actually develop any prospects that get to the NHL and stick there. Um, you know, so far uh, Noah Dobson and uh, Oliver Wallström, they they could be pillars there going forward, and that that is on Lou. And if Robin Sallow, uh, you know, uh, I think he was drafted uh, before Lou. Uh, I'm not looking at my notes right now. But, you know, certainly Wallstrom and Dobson are on Lou. Um, But like I said, you know, uh, at the end of this season, we're going to assess this. And uh, I believe Lou's uh, original contract with the Islanders is expiring after this season. So in a lot of ways, this is a a referendum on where Lou is taking this franchise. And uh, we are taking this uh, podcast into the uh into the ether we've come to the end of the questions and the end of this podcast and i appreciate everyone for listening along thank you so much thanks for the questions and uh, again if you want to follow me on twitter it's at a gross newsday and if you want to find all our newsday content it's at newsday.com backslash aisles don't forget newsday tv my thanks to thomas hickey for uh getting to, you know, spending the time chatting with me. Looking forward to seeing him a lot more this season. And I will talk to you on the next episode of Newsday's Island Ice Podcast. And until then, happy hockey, everybody.